Welcome to Pullback, the podcast where we challenge ourselves to try something new in ethical consumption. Then we tell you what we learn, fuck-ups and all. I'm Kristen Pugh, and I'm here with Kyla Hewson. Hello. And uh, today, this is a special bonus episode on COVID-19. And specifically, we're going to be looking at 10 unexpected impacts of the pandemic so far. Good. I'm glad that you clarified that, because I honestly forgot what we were talking about today. What even is time? (laughs) (laughs) Great. (laughs) So, Kyla, I guess we'll just do a quick check-in. How's how's your pandemic going so far? Oh, man. Do days still have meaning? (laughs) Oh, no. Uh, I never know what day of the week it is anymore. Um, But we were just talking before we started recording about how my province, I live in British Columbia, our curve looks like it's flattening uh, really well. So it makes it feel like staying inside for the last three weeks has been worthwhile. How about you? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I completely forgot what hour it was when we were trying to schedule a recording <laughs> today. <so. laughs> I think that tells you most of what you need to know. <laughs> but no, I'm hanging on. Yeah. This is the third week since I stopped working. Um, and it feels like both only a day has passed and also a year has passed. I, I, <laughs> I, I don't even know. I was watching the Queen's, like that four minute thing that she sent out to uh, Britons and it made me cry. So that probably tells you where I'm at. <laughs> it is a, an emotional roller coaster over here. <laughs> sometimes I feel fine. And sometimes I watch like a video of a fox and I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know how you feel. Uh, yesterday, there was like, I got a notification that I had a package delay of an additional two weeks. And it was enough to make me cry, which is just objectively silly. It's not like an essential item I was even ordering. But I don't know. <laughs> I feel like we're just hanging on by a thread, you know, it's like just psychologically not being able to hang out with friends or whatever. It is really tough, even if I don't feel that 90% of my day I am sort of like emotionally affected by it. Yeah, it's really weird because it feels like if I complain about it, I mean, it's not like I'm living a hard life, you know? Actually, things are pretty fine for me. I'm not worried about where I'm going to be living next month. The month after that, we'll see, but... Food's okay. Hopefully the CERB will have kicked in by then. <laughs> I'm not a frontline worker. Like, I I just, it almost makes it feel worse because I feel like if I do complain, like, wow, woe is me. I have, like, nothing to complain about. And I think that's part of what maybe is what make, is making everybody feel even more stressed out because you just got to bottle it up. <laughs> yeah, I feel that's that same way too. Like, yeah, my income hasn't been interrupted. Uh, my work in theory continues, although I haven't been as productive as I usually would be in a week. <laughs> but yeah, it's in theory, this hasn't really been a huge impact on my life, but I'm still feeling it, you know, and I think that's okay for people to just feel what they feel. Yeah, and I can still feel stressed out and recognize that, wow, I empathize or sympathize, I don't know what the right word is here, with people who are in a lot more of a stressful situation. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, we're going to highlight some of those situations in Great. Uh, these 10 unexpected situations. Um, I've tried to make it a good mix of things that are serious but important and just kind of interesting stories so that it's not too depressing. And I thought what I'd do for each of the 10 is I'll announce the topic and then I'll get you to guess whether it's getting better or worse. 
Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I hate this game. But okay, I'll play. Excellent. So the first one is Crimes. Oh, better, because nobody can go outside. (laughs) Like it. Yeah, so... um. I've got a couple of different things under this. This was originally just going to be a section on drug cartels, <laughs> um, but I sort of widened it because there, there is an effect on crime. But I'll start with the drug cartel stuff. So um, according to like a Vice article that went out recently, COVID-19 is making it super difficult for drug cartels to actually like make and distribute their product. And there's basically this whole article where it, these people from the Sinaloa cartel were whining about how pandemic's bad for business. Very bizarre read. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I guess it affects people's livelihoods. And I mean, if you can't, if, if you, if you're, if you're addicted to something and you can't get it, that can be really bad sometimes. So oh, for like, sure. I can go either way. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess um, the big reason that it had been from even before it sort of really hit North America COVID had been bad for drug cartels because um, the raw ingredients for manufacturing meth and fentanyl, which is what a lot of these cartels are now specialized in in Mexico, um, they're primarily sourced from China. And obviously, with uh, the outbreak there a little earlier, um, they had sort of shut the borders down. So drug makers have kind of been running low. And then even when they can get materials, it's more expensive to get them. That jacks up the production prices. In addition to which, now everywhere has sort of shut down the border um, or created a lot of border restrictions, and that makes it really hard for them to move their product, which typically would be smuggled in like cars and trucks um, into the United States. I've got a quote from the article. It says, one trafficker who works for El Mayo in the border city of Mexicali told Vice that last week they went from smuggling around 15 kilos of meth and heroin per week to five due to lack of supply and increased enforcement on the, the American side. Is that an overall good thing? I guess, probably, but... Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> objectively, it seems like it is, right? But I don't know. Like, is that going to lead to more deaths than it otherwise would have? Yeah, it's kind of tricky to say, um, but definitely increased prices are bad news for people that have addictions because, like, casual users might say, oh, God, meth's expensive. <laughs> Not gonna do that. Right now. <laughs> I don't know oh how many God. casual meth users there are out there, but like for like heroin or fentanyl, there might be slightly more. Um, but yeah, if you're a person that has genuinely an addiction, um, you're gonna seek out the drug regardless of the cost. So it can really put drug users at risk. Uh, the other the other story associated with sort of drug dealing and uh, COVID nineteen that I saw is uh, in the city of Hamilton, Ontario. There was a drug dealer who was arrested for conducting a non-essential business. <laughs> that was funny. He was also charged with drug trafficking, but like the initial arrest was not not uh, adhering to the quarantine. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I you're right that there are a lot of crimes that are actually going down right now. So things like muggings, burglaries, and home invasions have all gone down because people aren't out on the streets and because people are inside in their homes and conducting transactions online. So those kind of opportunistic crimes are a lot harder to commit. Well, and if a lot of the time you're committing a crime because you're with your friends and they're doing it, then I mean you're not <laughs> hanging out with your friends. So. <laughs> yeah, no peer pressure because there are no peers. Stay at home and listen to LeVar Burton reads. <laughs> 
Yeah, I do want to highlight, though, that there has been at least one high-profile heist that's occurred since the start of COVID. So a lot of museums are shut down right now. And uh, somebody stole a Van Gogh from a museum in the Netherlands, uh, the Singer Laren Museum. So Holy shit, I didn't hear about that. Yeah. Damn. I'm not even mad, I'm just impressed. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess people will find a way. Um, And then there are some crimes that are actually increasing as a result of COVID, um, or at least where the harms are increasing. So uh, one example is uh, prostitution. So there is decreased access to street prostitution, which you might think is a good thing. Um, But the increase in in online prostitution means that um, a lot more of the people involved in it are um, people that are trafficked and enslaved. So the kind of prostitution that's increasing while we're all staying at home uh, is likely to be actually worse for human rights. Yikes, I didn't even think about sex workers. They probably don't qualify for the CERB, eh? <laughs> I, I guess they're independent contractors. Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how the income works, but... All right, number two, car accidents. Ooh, uh, going down because there are way less people on the road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so this one's fairly straightforward. The other one was a little bit more complicated. But yeah, people aren't going out very often. There aren't as many car accidents. It's kind of staggering, actually. So I I found stats from three different sort of American areas. So in Phoenix, Arizona, car accidents are down by 75% since the pandemic started there. In California, they've decreased by about half. And in Seattle, they've also been cut in half. So these are like really sizable margins that they're decreasing by. Wow. Yeah. All right. Number three, domestic violence. Better or worse? I bet that's gotten worse. Yeah. We talked about that before, actually. You made a really good point when we were talking about COVID initially. And you were like, ah, where are victims supposed to go if they can't leave their houses? Yes. Yeah, so unfortunately, for some people, stay-at-home orders have made life a lot less safe. Domestic violence tends to increase during periods when families spend more time together. So like Christmas and summer vacation, the experts see an uptick um, and expect an uptick during those times. And so being locked at home during COVID is really... The same kind of increase in call volume is something that you're seeing. Well, I mean, it's a pretty high stress situation, um, especially if you or both of you have like lost your income and you've got a kid at home. And I saw a thing today that was saying that kids anxiety has skyrocketed in the last couple of weeks and parents don't know how to deal with it because they don't know how to deal with their own anxiety. <laughs> yeah, We're all just barely functioning. So trying to, to deal with kids, increased anxiety is a problem for sure. There are a couple of Really staggering stats that I found. Staggering is apparently my word of the day. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, everything about this, it, all all of the numbers that we're seeing are, it, there's, it's hard to think of a better word. So, you know, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, French police have reported that nationwide there has been a 30% increase in domestic violence, which is pretty substantial. Yeah. Um, and it's similar in the UK where domestic abuse calls have increased about 25%. I wasn't able to find stats for the Canadian context, but there's no reason to assume that it would be different. Um, And this is something that the federal government has recognized because they've um, part of the supports that they've given to the charitable sector has gone to emergency funding for women's shelters. So there's $40 million going there. I saw that and I really appreciated that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and uh, there's also $7.5 million that's been given to the Kids Help Phone because basically what happened at the beginning of the pandemic is so the pandemic really strains what charities can do with volunteers. At the same time, Kids Help Phone is one of those charities, one of many charities that's seeing rampantly increased demand. And so it really overloaded them. And the $7.5 million grant is really going to help them to recruit more paid counselors as well as more volunteers. So it'll hopefully mean that all the kids that call or text um, or use, I think there's an online chat function as well for the Kids Help Phone, that they'll be able to be heard in a timely fashion. Yeah, so I, I do want to highlight that this funding is a great thing, but we shouldn't put rose-colored glasses on for the Canadian government's donation of this money because, honestly, this wouldn't be such a crisis if Canada's regular systems for addressing family violence were not already fucked up. So there was a CBC investigation recently that found that women and children are turned away from shelters in Canada at a rate of almost 19,000 people every month. So that's 19,000 women and kids every month in Canada that experience family violence, decide they want to leave, try to go to a shelter, and are turned away. Holy shit. I didn't know that. Yeah. And when that happens, they either have to go back to their abusers or find some other place to live or are made homeless. So it's a, it's a really big crisis that hasn't been addressed and the increased volume with COVID is only going to make it worse. Well, the problems aren't just on the emergency shelter side though. Um, there's a, another investigative report this time by McLean's that was put out about a year ago um, by Ann Kingston was the one that wrote it. Um, and it was looking at sort of all elements of the domestic violence problem in Canada and uh, the conclusion of this report is basically that even before COVID, Canada was at an epidemic level problem for domestic violence, that the five-year average has increased 40%. So there is a lot more domestic violence than there used to be. And the report found, I'm just going to quote from it because I think it's important. So they found a response mechanism structured to fail, a lack of data, inconsistent record keeping, systemic disconnects lack of accountability, and failure of political will. They also found, quote, underlying lack of concern for the human rights and safety of women and children, unquote, amongst law enforcement, the courts, and public perception. So COVID is making domestic violence worse, but our systems were not ready to begin with. So when this pandemic ends, I think we really need to focus our attention on that. Anyway, enough editorializing. <laughs> no, I agree. <laughs> Number four, recycling. Recycling has gotten, oh, I don't know, worse? Yeah. Ah, damn it. God damn it, yeah. So um, it's expected that residential waste collection may increase by 30% because more people are staying at home. And uh, also there's a lot more stuff that we have now because we've all been panic buying. Or as someone on the internet has called it, Stockholm Syndrome. Ah, <laughs> that's, uh, that's pretty cute. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that same prediction, uh, the same projection uh, forecasts that recycling contamination could increase by as much as 20%. And just re recycling contamination is when stuff that can't be recycled goes into the recycling bin and then you can't recycle anything in that batch. Yeah, which we've talked about a few times on previous episodes. 
Because there's um, an increase in residential waste and also um, in recycling demand, recycling pickup and processing is expected to increase, which is causing disruption in a few American cities and possibly here too. I just hadn't found anything on that. And of course, uh, the demand for single-use plastics is going up um, as reusable options are prohibited, right? You're not supposed to use reusable produce bags anymore. I can't use even. I can't even use the grocery bags. I went to the shop and they were like plastic bags only at the checkout, and I was like, "Well, I want you to feel safe, but also, I hate it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I actually found a thing. Um, so, like, there's no evidence to suggest that that actually makes us safer. Oh, good. I'm glad it's not just me being a like curmudgeon. <laughs> I know for our when we did the COVID update on our zero waste episode, I toned my myself back because I wasn't sure, but now I feel pretty confident because I looked into it a little more. That like, it's not safer. It's not safer at all, and it's just the plastics lobby that has made this the case. It's fucked. Sorry, <laughs> this is angry, Kristen. Um, so there's a. Uh, a climate reporter, her name's Emily Atkin, who's done a little bit of work on this. Um, and she have essentially found that the plastics industry is pushing for more single-use plastics as the coronavirus is going. So they're basically engaged in a lobbying um, effort to get places to rule that the guidelines should include getting rid of reusables. Wow, fuck that. Fuck that, yeah. So um, according to her reporting... Uh, so she basically looks at the lobbying efforts, and then she looks at the studies that the plastics industry is using to bolster their argument for these guidelines. And she finds that none of the studies actually show what they purport to show. And in fact, um, there's no evidence from these studies that suggest that you are actually at a greater risk of being made ill from using a reusable bag. And in fact, because COVID lasts longer on plastic than it does on other materials. If you're using a cotton tote bag, you're more likely to be safe than if you're using a plastic one um, or a single-use plastic item because it doesn't last as long on those items. So, But also, don't give a hard time to the grocery clerk who tells you not yes. to use your reusable bag. Yeah. They're having they don't a make bad the rules. day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they don't make the rules. They want hazard pay. They deserve hazard pay. Yeah. Leave them but alone. it's just fucked. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't argue when I went in and they told me because I was like, look, this guy probably thinks it's as stupid as I do. <laughs> yeah, or even worse, they don't think it is because the lobbying has been so convincing, right? Um, that's my big concern mm, is that yeah. after this, everyone is going to think that reusable items are unsanitary and there's never been ev any evidence to suggest that. But yeah, definitely don't yell at your grocery till worker about this, <laughs> even if you're angry about it. <laughs> <laughs> yell at your member of parliament. I'm always for yelling at members of parliament. <laughs> I do it politely, but... Yeah, oh, the other thing I saw is that COVID-19 is changing recycling procedures. So one thing that you might have noticed is that there are fewer specialized recycling pickup options at this time. And that kind of makes sense because you have to physically go to a place and there are people around who are trying to socially distance. So I understand that. But there was another rule that I saw. Uh, this, there's a city called London in the province of Ontario. So this is not London, England. Um, but they're they're basically asking sick people not to recycle at all, which to my mind doesn't really make sense because usually recycling is picked up at most once a week. So if you even if you drank like a Coca-Cola can while you were sick, like if it waited five days in your recycling bin, it should be fine. Also usually recycling is like in a bin or bag. So 
And like, who's handling recycling that's not wearing gloves, even under normal circumstances? Yeah, I don't understand that rule. I think it's just another, like, everybody's tripping over themselves to find ways to seem like they're making workers safer, but there's nobody actually taking into account whether these measures truly are or not. Um, And the environment suffers as a result. So number five, I'm calling armchair activism. And uh, do you think it's getting better or worse? What makes armchair activism better or worse from itself? Like, I I believe there's more people doing it. I bet there's more people doing it. But whether or not it's doing anything, I don't know. (laughs) So yeah, I don't have an actual answer either. This was just the only way that I could think of to tell a story that I think is pretty funny. Apparently, during the pandemic um, in Wuhan, China, uh, quarantine school children tried to get their homework app, um, it's an app called Ding Talk, taken off of the app store by review bombing it. So I saw that. <laughs> I want to high five all those kids. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, those kids are heroes. Uh, they were almost successful, but unfortunately, it is still up, so they... They still have to do their homework. They still have to do their homework. (laughs) All right. Number six is climate change. Better or worse? Um, This one's complicated. I think in the short term, it must be getting better because there's no cruise ships and there's no airplanes and there's no cars on the road. Uh, But in the long term, I mean, we were talking about the slingshot effect in our first COVID episode. So I I imagine you've got more for me on that. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little bit. Yeah. So yeah, people have been talking about the silver linings of COVID-19 in the form of improved air quality and reduced greenhouse gas emissions. You probably, like the internet has really, a lot of people on the internet will have seen those like satellite images. I think first they showed it over China, then air pollution over Italy. And now there's kind of like, you can find a whole bunch other of other ones and also like reporting on how air pollution is going down. But it's, no, that's not going to solve the climate crisis, people. Uh, Yeah, these are temporary measures. And also, they are likely to be offset by that sort of slingshot effect as countries try to regrow by slashing environmental regulations. Environmental activists are pushing to ensure that recovery plans are green, but that doesn't necessarily mean they'll succeed, right? Um, Because they do have sort of organized institutional lobbying that they're contending against. So yeah, there's a lot more money in big plastic. (laughs) Yeah, big plastic. Yeah. Or like um, the Alberta government and the oil industry have really been pushing for an oil and gas bailout right now, and they may succeed. So we'll see. Uh, The other thing I want to point out for this is that our failure to address air pollution and other environmental problems is actually making people more vulnerable to COVID-19. So there's that other effect as well. Because it attacks your lungs. Yeah. Yeah. And there is scientific evidence now to suggest that if you're in a city that has had high long-term air pollution, so that's not like Um, The city of Edmonton, Alberta, occasionally gets really high air pollution when there are wildfires, but most of the year it's relatively low. So it's not those kinds of situations. It's more like if you live in a city like Delhi. Delhi, Yeah. Yeah. And there's like really high air pollution rates year round, then you're more vulnerable to COVID-19. Yeah. So on the other hand, even though we've seen like temporary benefits 
or temporary reduced air pollution. I won't say benefits because there are people dying. And yeah. Even if air pollution is going down, that's this is still a really shitty time. But even though air pollution has gone down, the pandemic has really slowed the momentum of climate activism. It's April when we're recording this and possibly also when we're releasing it. I'm not sure yet. <laughs> um, but April was supposed to be the global month of climate activism. There were supposed to be climate strikes and protests planned all over the world. And while activists have been doing their best to find ways to work online, the inability to physically protest has really made their work a lot more difficult. And also, the only thing in the news right now is COVID-19. So <laughs> No one's talking about the climate, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there is a broader question that's been raised as well, whether COVID-19 can provide lessons for how we address climate change, which like that would be really good if that was the case. Um, and some people have pointed to the extraordinary measures that we're observing to protect people, and they see that as an opportunity to extend those measures toward the climate crisis. Some cities have made public transit free, for example. So that would be really good. And also... The whole flatten the curve thing is a really good metaphor for climate change, right? It shows how delaying really is more deadly. And this is like a really tangible example of how that's true that can be applied to climate change. But we'll see whether that turns out to be a lesson that humanity learns. I'm skeptical. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Same. All right. Number seven is Olympians. Uh, oh, things are getting worse for Olympians. I know that. Yeah, so um, the Olympics have been postponed for a year. So that itself is probably, I mean, it's, I guess it's good to the extent that Olympians now aren't at a higher risk of getting COVID. So that's nice. Um, and they have some certainty as to how they can plan their schedules into 2021. But for lots of, lots of athletes, this might mean that they can't compete in the Olympics when they were supposed to this time because they may not qualify next time. So that's tough. The other thing that I thought was interesting, though, is that um, I found this article in Burnaby Now, which is, it's a local paper it's in your right. area. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's an article by Lori Ewing and Donna Spencer. And it looks at how the COVID is really, be because it delayed the Olympics and because it shut down sporting schedules, it's um, creating financial problems for Olympians, at least in this country. The good news on that is that Canadian athletes can still access their monthly athletes assistance programs checks for this year, but those are not very much. <laughs> They're somewhere between $1,000 and like $1,800. That's the range, which is still like less than the emergency response benefit that Canada's offering. So it just shows you how little that assistance is. And even though that's continuing, the prize money um, from competitions, which is usually how athletes sustain themselves, uh, it's dried up, obviously, right? So their athletes aren't earning money from those competitions, and they also aren't getting money from sponsors. So I thought that was just kind of like, and it was an interesting impact that I hadn't thought about at all, you know? Yeah, no, for, for for real. And I mean, that's what this episode is about is like things you maybe didn't think about, right? That's what you had in mind for these. Yeah. So that's a good one. All right. The next one is workers' rights. Ooh, I don't know if that would be getting better or worse. I, I would hope it's getting better because it's highlighting 
how poorly we treat some of our frontline workers. <laughs> yeah, um, I kind of came to the conclusion that it's too soon to tell, you know, that there are sort of, there are factors going in both directions and which one ends up being more powerful, it's unclear. Um, but yeah, on the one hand, uh, bad news for workers' rights is that COVID-19 is accelerating the Amazonification of the planet. Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing you can, the only place you can get stuff is online. And I mean, Amazon is really good at having all of the things you need in one place. So instead of having to go to six different websites, you can just go to Amazon and get those six different things at the same time. This, this is kind of off topic, but um, in some cases, it's not even a website. Like, uh, so Canadian Tire, um, which is, I think we've talked about on this podcast before, it's the weirdest <laughs> store, you can get pretty much anything there, but it's mostly like... Tools, home goods, and automotive stuff. Uh, and in my province, in Ontario, they have been declared a non-essential business. And so they're not able to sell in-store, but they can do online orders and curbside pickup, which is like, it's pretty common to a lot of businesses. But the weird thing is like... Canadian Tire's website's basically been down for the last several days. Canadian Tire's website has been shitty all the time. I tried to use it like six months ago and I was like, why is this <laughs> yeah. the worst? So I can't imagine that, that they're handling this terribly well. No, now if you go to their website on uh, April 7th anyway, maybe not by the time we've released this episode, but you basically, you go to a page and the page says, hey, you're in Ontario. We can only do online orders, by which we mean call your store. <laughs> Wow, that's not an <laughs> online order, Canadian Tire, no, it's not. goose. It's not online at all. <laughs> I tried calling yesterday because I wanted to get a pull-up bar. Um, and they said that basically they were super backed up. And so they just took my name and number and told me they'd call me sometime. And it's been a day and still not. Wow. Like, so they must have so many orders, honestly. So no wonder the Amazonification of the world is happening. Like you said, you, you try to go other places and it's like, well, I can't. I could just go to Amazon. It's easier. <laughs> yeah, although I think for exercise equipment, like Amazon's not really better right now. I think everywhere, like in the first phase of the disaster, it was toilet paper, then it was dry <laughs> goods. And now people are like, fuck, I don't have a home gym. <laughs> We're going to be released in the middle of summer after just like ossifying on the couch. Yeah, and eating all of your snacks that you bought that were supposed to last for two weeks, but you got high and <laughs> yes. ate them in a night. <laughs> Too real. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little specific. <laughs> <laughs> but also probably many people's experience. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we're all ordering from online platforms. Um, sometimes it's direct to store, but a lot of times it'll be from, from Amazon. And that means that they've had to hire a lot of new people. Uh, they are temporarily hiring 100,000 people in the States to deal with the increase. And uh, that shift could ultimately increase the percentage of the workforce that's doing precarious work over the long term, right? If we permanently are seeing more online ordering. That's at this happening at the same time as the pandemic is really revealing how inadequate our protections are for the precariat, which is something we talked about in our last COVID episode. On the other hand, there is some hope. So the pandemic is really revealing the importance of workers in what we used to call, or in some cases still do call, the low-skilled category. It's really demonstrating that these are, in fact, actually essential workers and uh, that they're putting themselves at greater risk and we should respect them. 
Oh, I also just want to give a quick shout out to the temporary foreign workers problem because we talked about it last time and uh, temporary foreign workers are being brought in. So they will be able to come in and work as planned. Um, but this also kind of highlights how important they are to our food system. And so hopefully in the future, we, we look at that. But back to the precariat. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the, the increased public recognition of these workers as essential workers, it's basically pushed some re retailers to increase pay temporarily. So like most of Canada's major grocery chains have made a move in that direction. And there are also Canadian workers for Amazon also have temporarily increased wages. It's it's something that you're starting to see as, as more common for anyone that does have to work during this time that isn't in the healthcare system. I'm not sure if they've gotten increases, but they were already paid better to begin with. Um, so COVID-19 has also really demonstrated the importance of unions, which I think will be an important impact in the future. Um, and that's because like unions have really been in the front of saying, hey, grocery stores, add plexiglass to make workers safer. You have to like provide times to clean the stores. You have to have security so that you can enforce social distancing. You have to have limits on the number of customers involved in stores. Like all of those protections that we're seeing now, which are really good for workers, those were being first proposed by unions and grocery stores accepted them after that pressure. So I think Hopefully in the future, we'll see more respect from for unions because of the sort of crucial role that they've played during this pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, another thing on this this thing is uh, on the same topic is nurses unions, right? They're, they've been pushing actively to make sure that nurses have the right protective equipment. That's really a safety concern for everybody, right? So it's not just about increasing workers' pay. It's also safety protections that benefit everybody. Um, at the same time, there are a lot of the non-unionized workers, especially those in the precariat, they've been um, mobilizing, which is something that might have long-term impacts as well. Some people have looked at this situation and they've seen a historical analogy in the Black Death. Um, had you heard anything about this? No. No? Um, so the line, this is like a fairly niche social scientist thing, maybe, um, but the line when we're talking about the Black Death has always been that because obviously a lot of people died during the Black Death and uh, so there were fewer workers and you saw increased, um, increased pay, increased um, protections for workers. Certainly nothing anywhere near modern protections, but uh, workers' situations increased a lot after the Black Death um, and... When that story is told, it's often told in terms of like, oh, you know, they just had to find workers and so it naturally changed, you know. Um, but in fact, there was um, like a series of revolts that happened where workers were agitating for increased protections after the plague because they'd seen this themselves. So the strikes that you're seeing today, I think, do have a lot of relevance to that same story, right? That when we have a pandemic and you can see how important labor is that workers and where workers also have really tangible concerns and are scared um, and that gives them much more incentive to organize and where the public is receptive to that because they see how important workers are and they see how reasonable their demands are that that creates sort of like an environment where you can have more collective bargaining rights 
And so you've kind of seen this. It's been primarily around Amazon, but there are other companies too. So there's uh, warehouse workers in Europe and across sort of a bunch of areas of the states that have been engaging in strikes, protests, and walkouts. Uh, one example is uh, in Staten Island, New York, workers walked out of an Amazon warehouse and they were demanding that the facility be shut and cleaned during a paid time off after a co-worker tested positive for COVID. Yeah, damn, they should. Yeah, that just seems reasonable, right? <laughs> yeah. Amazon basically tried to discredit the strike leader and fired him. So cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I mean... I recognize how convenient Amazon is, but like every story I see about Amazon during the pandemic is like, just fuck Amazon. Yes. Yeah. I can't, I'm, I can't blame people for shopping there. I get how convenient it is, but fuck Amazon. They could be better. Be better. <laughs> how much money do you make, Jeff Bezos? So much. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. These kinds of walkouts are happening all over the place. Uh, none in Canada, as far as I know yet, but um, workers sort of getting organized and trying to protect their own livelihoods and their, their safety. It's also happening for Whole Foods workers, which is also owned by Amazon. <laughs> yeah, Amazon is complicated. I, yes. I don't want to shame anyone for shopping there. Uh, we're all really stressed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so good for, these, good for these workers. I mean, Amazon could be a good thing. You know what I mean? Maybe not. Like Amazon monopolies are almost never good, but they don't need to be as bad. Can I do like a mid-episode call to action? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's your call to action? If you're ordering on Amazon and you have a package delay and you can, you don't, if you find out you don't really need that item, cancel your order and in the comments for why, write work, workers' rights. Oh, Kristen, some what, what was, <laughs> couch activism. <laughs> yeah, armchair, armchair activism. activism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. The other company I wanted to mention, so it wasn't just Amazon, is an American company called Instacart, which, as I understand it, it's like basically like a platform where people are people will go and do your shopping for you. Uh, so there have also been strikes on Insta Instacart. So it's basically like a, a rolling strike, as I understand it. And what they're asking for, which I also think is incredibly reasonable is uh, $5 per order in hazard pay. It's a pandemic, yeah. <laughs> and uh, also a tip default on the app of at least 10%, which I frankly should have existed already if it doesn't. So, okay. Number nine is Ebola. Ebola? <laughs> uh, boy, I hope it's... I hope Ebola's not... Wait, if it's getting better, does that mean that, that e it's better for Ebola or better for us? <laughs> <laughs> I hope that there's less Ebola. I hope that like Ebola sucks. I don't want I don't want anyone to have to deal with that. <laughs> yeah. So um this is kind of a trick one because it's more about like how Ebola's effect on COVID. I, but anyway. So people may remember that a few years ago in several African countries there were there were outbreaks of Ebola. And most countries dealt with the Ebola epidemic a lot earlier, and so it's been done for a little while, I think. But the uh, DR Congo, it, it's been going on until, I mean, it is still going on, but it's like drawing down now, and they're expecting that it may no longer be declared an epidemic soon. And uh, that has nothing to do with COVID-19. That was something that had been 
it was a process that was winding down for a long time. But a kind of an optimistic story is that a lot of the health system workers have been saying that the systems that were set up to deal with Ebola may actually be really helpful for addressing COVID-19 in the DR Congo. So could potentially be very helpful. The one caveat on that is that there's a risk that the WHO is going to wind down that response too early, in which case you might see both an increase in Ebola again at the same time as COVID's going on, which would obviously be disastrous. So limited success, probably it will be better, but that's only if the WHO does things properly. Otherwise, it could get worse. All right. The last one is inequality. I mean, it's only been a pandemic for three weeks. How, how could there have been a marketed, a marked change <laughs> so soon? <laughs> okay, I'm going to say inequality is getting worse. Yes. Um, so, and just generally, but also because of COVID. Um, oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, so there are a lot of links between COVID-19 and inequality, and that topic deserves to be its own episode. So I think we'll work on getting something out on that in the future, hopefully. Okay, yeah, I'd be really interested to hear about that, because there's a lot, well, there's just so many different angles. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I did want to tease the discussion by highlighting reporting on how inequality makes it more difficult for some people to social distance, Um, just because I think that's a really sort of It's relevant right now as we're all trying to get through it. So the New York Times used location data to examine how inequality affects social distancing. And basically, they found that people in the top 10% of income have limited their movement a lot more than the bottom 10% in the same metropolitan areas, which is like, it's kind of a go figure finding, but you know. Yeah, go figure. (laughs) Go figure. Like the people that have to be working at precarious jobs aren't able to stay at home as much as people who make like a couple hundred thousand dollars a year or more. Shakes uh, <laughs> socialist fists. Yeah, I would say I fall kind of in between that. I have been able to limit my movement, but I did not continue to make money while I was doing it. So I don't know how that... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for the long term, I mean, increased debt amongst like Canadians if our response is inadequate. Hopefully the Canadian government gets their gets their shit together. I was like, should I should I not swear? But I, I will. We've said fuck so many times in this episode. <laughs> I know. I just like it's weird swearing at the government, but <laughs> but their their response is really inadequate right now. So many people don't qualify for the CERB and if you make any money, you can be kicked off of it. It's dumb. Yeah, so it doesn't really encourage me to go help out at my local grocery store if I have the time, right? Yeah. Just like introduce universal basic income at the same level as you were promising for the CERB and tax it back to people that don't need it, honestly. (laughs) Kristen, you should just call, just call our prime minister. (laughs) I'm sure you have Trudeau on Snapchat. That's probably where he hangs out. (laughs) Well, I think he's probably more of an Instagram person, that would be my guess. He's a TikTok guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. You know what? I actually have a really nice shout out to end this on uh, positively. Yeah, I, um, my friend, uh, my friend Jude's, and she is our number one fan, as she constantly tells me. So, but yeah, Jude's has just been a really good friend, and uh, she always listens, and she always has nice things to say. So that's a nice shout out, I think. <laughs> Yay! 
I hope everyone's uh, I hope everyone's practicing their uh, their social distancing and you're holding in there and it's okay to be stressed out you know no matter what your situation is and you know if you guys want to reach us we are on Twitter at pullback podcast and uh, we are very responsive so hit us up if you're feeling lonely <laughs> or you have something really sad to share Kristen will respond to that one <laughs> thanks for listening guys oh, bye. My bangs are so weird right now. <laughs> Ooh, that's anyway. okay. I can only see like from your eyebrows up anyway. So. No, but look. <laughs> <laughs> I have, like double horns. It's very weird. Sorry. Um. <laughs>